Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. We are delighted to bring you this episode with Andrew Musgrave, who many of you know as Great Britain's most successful distance skier. Andrew, in spite of his relatively unconventional nationality for being a cross-country ski star, has been on the World Cup podium. He has won a Norwegian national championship, much to, I think, probably many Norwegians' chagrin and has been dealing with some chaos in his national team and coaching situation this year. So we catch up with him on all that stuff, and we'll be back to you in just a minute. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by New Moon Ski and Bike, located in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin's picturesque Northwoods region, which borders Michigan's Upper Peninsula and is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebiner. The Berkey has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable, Wisconsin to Hayward. Some have named the trail as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire U.S. The trails are groomed and maintained for both skate and classic skiing, or ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. New Moon is the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes, and fat bikes, clothing, accessories, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet or check them out online at newmoonski.com. I can't believe I'm part of the Devon Kershaw show. This is exciting. I can't oh, believe yeah. you haven't asked me to, before now. I know. You were talking shit about that. And we. this is a really heat bag production we got going here. So... Uh, <laughs> We, <laughs> what about what about this backdrop doesn't uh, exude professional? No, it really does not. I, wa- I, does wa- not I was wondering where Nat, Nat's sitting outside looking yeah. like he's about to get rained on. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I am. I am getting rained on. I will say that the number of episodes of the Devin Kershaw show that were recorded on my uh, AirPods or whatever you call these things, like on a bus between the like Olympic venue in Beijing and like the massage chair in the media center was <laughs> probably more than too half. many. So it was too many, but... but you wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, you Sometimes, you know, when you listen to it and if you read the emails from the from the angry listeners that are like, <laughs> your guys' internet is garbage. Your sound quality is garbage. Let me buy you a mic. Let me help you out. But we're like, well, it's kind of our charm, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of our charm to be a, to be shitty. So that's, uh, yeah. that's great. But it was, we're, I'm really pumped. It's, it's great to catch up. What I love about this is like, now that I'm old, oldie balls and retired and not a part of the scene anymore, it's kind of a nice excuse to catch up with some. Now, this is what's crazy. Like, to me, you're just a young pup. But then I look at what year you're born. <laughs> and so I'm like, old. oh, God, you're, you're born in 1990. Like, you're young. You're the same age as Kristen's sister, like super young. And then I'm like, oh, my God, you're like, you're 32, 33. So you're not as, uh, you're not as, well, you're 32, but you're not as young as, as you used to be, Muzzy. But that's cool. You uh, still got a lot in you. So, yeah. but it's. But it's uh, no, but it's awesome to have you here. And I mean, for people that don't know who you are, then come out of under your rock and start following Nordic skiing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of an intro. So Musgrave from from GB from Great Britain. We'll just leave it at that. I think that's good. He's been a part of the racing scene forever and has had some amazing results. And he really broke through. And I remember this deeply. But World Juniors in 2009 with a top 10 finish in Prada Lee. We can come back to Prada Lee later, but. 
not about the racing, just about other things around it. And then followed that up with some great results, top results at under 23s. And, and after that, um, you know, with a fourth place and a sixth place there back to back years. And then the craziest thing to me is the last few world championships have been like nothing short of stunning as, uh, as far as I'm concerned, like just to give some people some context. So you have like four top fives in the world cup and yeah, I'm counting like stage stage results and whatever stage world cups. It's hard to keep all that straight. So you have four top fives in the world cup yet in 2019, you had three top tens in three individual races. And you followed that up in 2021 with three top tens again in the three individual races and at the Olympics in, in Pyeongchang seventh in the skiathlon, where I was just a shadow of myself getting <laughs> shelled out the back in like minus 17 in the wind. So you've really been able to really hit it when you needed to hit it. And of course, fourth place in the legendary for the Canadian listeners out there, Solomon's big day out 2017, when there was four Solomon athletes in the top 10 and three in the top five with uh, Alex Harvey taking gold and Muzzy. Who in, actually in remembers that? Everybody in Quebec remembers that. Like there's license <laughs> plates. definitely remembers that. I remember that. I remember that. And every everyone in Quebec, there's strippers with that tattooed on their butts in Quebec, I will tell you right now. So it's, a, it's a, you know, it's just kidding. It's a, it's a, I hope not. But you never know. I wouldn't put it past about it. But regardless, it's uh, it was a it was a big moment in Canadian ski history, and and Muzzy was right there in fourth. So, um, quite frankly, those results that I just listed off are something that always has really impressed me. And I wanted to hear the backstory between it because, you know, a lot of people ask me that, especially here in Norway. Like a lot of people have asked me, being like, "Oh, like how did you get into cross country skiing living in Canada?" And what people don't really know is Canada's got a shitload of snow and every little town has cross country ski trails and not every town has a big community of skiers, but most towns in Canada have some sort of community of cross country skiing. Scotland <laughs> in contrast, I would imagine has like one town <laughs> that is into cross country. Huntley skiing. Nordic ski club. That's Huntley, where it all happened. Huntley to, Nordic ski club. To be, exactly. fa- to be fair though, there, there are actually a couple of places that have ski clubs in Scotland. Okay. And there are, uh a few people working trying to build up some new clubs but like where me both me and andrew young come from and quite a few other skiers um my sister's been to the olympics we've had another guy called callum smith who's been to the olympics and so yeah we've there's quite a few of us all from this wee hub in huntley that made it to the olympics is there is there actually like is there like skiing for like four months a year in Huntley or is it like it's there's like one time a year when you guys can go ski on a golf course and that's why you have a ski club? The latter. So the the club likes to claim that there's like some sort of ridiculous number of snow days a year. Like, oh, there's 60 days of snow a year. But that's like if there's a one meter stretch of snow left somewhere in the vicinity of where we live, then it counts as a ski day. And the ridiculous thing is there'll be like somebody will put their skis on and go and ski back and forth on this one meter stretch of snow. But in it varies massively from season to season. Sometimes we'll get snow where you can get proper skiing. And then other years, there's just nothing. Or it'll so, be a little bit of a plot around on a golf course. So that brings but me to the have, question. Oh, sorry, continue. No, 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 no. Please, you continue. God. 
I just uh, I don't know what I was going to say now you got you interrupted and I got distracted oh fuck I'm such a dick but everyone <laughs> knows that already that's listening to this but okay well then, then since I've already interrupted like but that 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 leads me to question like how did you fall in to this obscure sport of cross-country skiing it was it something that your parents did was it something you guys did at, at like on winter break every year growing up or uh, I mean if you said you lived in Alaska for a time I mean in the USA, I mean, Alaska is obviously a hub for cross-country skiing and has a great community. Uh, so how, how did you end up cross-country skiing? Yeah, so I, um, as we were saying earlier, which I wasn't quite sure was part of the podcast or not, but anyway, if, if you were listening earlier or if not, then uh, I was talking about lived in Alaska for a few years. So I was, I was lived in Shetland before that. Um, until I was five and then my family moved to Alaska from when I was five until I was 11 years old so I kind of got into skiing uh, then did some like, local racing or anything but I didn't really have any dream of being a cross-country skier at that point in time um, when I was 11 we moved back to Scotland and randomly enough we just moved to a place where there was a cross-country ski club uh, Huntley and I kind of wanted to get to know some new or some kids in the area around my own age. And I thought oh, cross country was skiing was something I could do. And maybe that would be a good way to get to know people. So I kind of got into the club because of that. And then it was actually through Huntley that there was just this sort of bunch of nut jobs that were up for, <laughs> up for going skiing somewhere where there wasn't much snow. And it was actually through Huntley that I got proper into skiing and training and racing. And then after that, because then the other thing is like for people that, don't know then you moved if correct me if i'm wrong but i mean you moved to norway as a in your teens to do did you to do did you end up did you also end up doing high school or like did they're going to whatever like norwegian high school in norway no so know- i finished i finished school in scotland you did and then okay. uh my plan was actually to start university in britain yeah um and i just decided to take a year off and do a bit of ski racing before I got turned into a grown-up and went to do university and all that. And then I ended up racing dead fast when I was away all winter. And I met one of the coaches for the Norwegian team at junior, at the World Junior Championships. And he said to me, oh, you should definitely come to Norway and train with us. It'd be really good. And I thought that sounded much more exciting than um, uh, <laughs> going to university, to be honest. So I went over as a last year junior and trained with this ski high school in Hovden, an obscure little place in That's right. the southwest, but an absolutely awesome place to be a cross-country skier. And I ended up having a pretty good season uh, that year. I won the Norwegian Junior Championships um, and decided I was going to give skiing a proper go. Um, yeah. And I've been here ever since. Yeah, no, that that's that's wild. That's right. I knew you were in Hobden. That's why I was just curious, but I guess I never yeah. knew or I kind of just forgot or that you didn't actually go to the Yeah, to there's the quite a lot of people there. think that I did three yeah. years there, did like proper exactly. high school, but nah. Fi- finished all my exams and all that back in Scotland. Yeah, okay. Well that's wild. So then from two thousand nine, that, that ninth place finish you had in the individual in the individual start skate race in Puddley, yeah. that was while you were skiing in in with the Hobden group. No, that was the year before that was I was the year before. Often. And so that was where that's I met. Insane. That's when I met the um, Norwegian coach who... Who was it, the Norwegian the coach. Uh, yeah, okay. It was Roar. That's why uh, I ended up in Hovden, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was a coach in Hovden. Uh, yeah. So it was... 
uh, bit of good luck that I had you, got speaking to. Had you had much like formal coaching before you got ninth place at World Junior Championships? I'm wondering if that might have helped me get to ninth place at World Junior so Championships. The, the, crack, the crack was that there were a couple of us in the local ski club in Huntley that had got like proper into skiing. And uh, Andrew Young was one of them. And Andrew Young's dad had decided that, right, if Andrew and a couple of us other guys wanted to give it a proper go, then we needed to learn how to train properly. So Roy had absolutely no background as a cross-country skier. He played rugby himself. As this at, is like, quite dad. a high Yeah, this is Andrew's dad, Roy. He'd played rugby at like a at university level, I think. Um, and he decided he was going to learn how um, cross-country skiing worked. So he started reading some books and sent some emails to some like Norwegians and asked things about it. And then he started making some training plans for us from when we were like 14, 15 years old. And then he progressed into being quite a good coach um, and took over the British team. But like he had no formal background as a cross-country skier um, or as a cross-country ski coach, but he just kind of worked out a system that worked for us um and some of the, looking back at it now it some of the norwegian or I'm, when i first came to norway the norwegian start was an absolute nut job because i hadn't learned about pacing didn't know anything i thought in like interval training that was just going as hard as you could from like the first second and then like the, i would blow up in every single session we did but i go really fast at the start um and so, so we did some nut stuff, but we ended up getting quite good because Andrews had World Cup podium. I've been in the podium World Cup. Like, yeah, there's quite a few of us that uh, ended up being good skiers. So Roy must have done something right in his training planning. I, that's an incredible story. I mean, like, th- that is wild. Like, I was 100% under the impression that that ninth place was when you were living full-time in Norway. Uh at the world juniors at that time so that that's that's incredible and it but it also just shows too it it shows and this is what i think we can come back to this i I wasn't really planning on hopping right into this now but like it it says a lot it speaks volumes about the community right like i mean we both live in norway now you live in trondheim still don't you yeah yeah exactly so be awesome like all the i mean trondheim for people that don't know is like a ski mecca and people are insane for cross-country skiing and, and of course like i live in Lillehammer and i'm in oslo a lot where, where i am right now and i mean it's not surprising when you go out to ski clubs and and just see how way into it it is i mean cross-country skiing is, uh, is the national sport everyone's heard that already it's in the newspapers all that sort of thing but but uh you know you don't need that support system around you, you but you do need some like crazy people like Roy or like the coaches that I had in my career or people yeah. that just get like way into this obscure yeah. sport. And that's incredible. That, that That's like, that's an absolutely like in, incredible story. That, that's, yeah. that's wild. How were those early years in Norway for you? Like, how was that transition from being, uh, even though you obviously like you had some, you had some like Paul Mares behind you um, that would take you far in Norway, but like, how, how was that to move away from your family? I mean, it's, it's obviously exciting because like Scotland sounds like the snow conditions, blue chunks. So probably pretty nice. To... <laughs> the, the snow, snow conditions <laughs> are pretty crap. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably um, pretty sweet to be in Hovden where, where it nukes snow and, it was and, and, and abs- have great trails, but, but it was absolutely that, awesome. Uh, just because of the group of people that were at Hovden when I went there. So I moved into this, like, student accommodation just with cross-country skiers who were all at high school and I just sort of hung out there and didn't study anything went went to some Norwegian classes for uh, foreigners like twice a week with two like 
old women from the far somewhere in Asia and some Polish dude um, <laughs> did that like twice a week while everyone else was at school and uh, but I was just living with such a good bunch of people and they um, and it was one of the best years of my life when I lived there just because it was, it was so much fun did so much ridiculous stuff like was always always some antics we were getting up to and so and we like trained hard and super good as well but just like the whole environment around what we were doing just everything was fun and so so just yeah going away on camps was awesome because it was all the same people and then you came back from being on the training camp and then you just did the same stuff back back in Hofton and it was yeah it was just super good wait can we get an example of the uh, of the antics <laughs> I know one. I, I know one, and, and Andrew probably won't want to discuss like the the um, details, and I won't either. But th- there was like you you probably became an expert in shit golf. I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, I take I take no blame for that game. I wasn't even part of the invention of that game. Um, yeah. But what w- one antic that they used to have that they thought was hilarious was like the first week I was there. They were like, oh, come along with us, come along with us. And I was like, all right, what's going on? And we went up this random like gravel road. And then somebody, there was one taxi driver in Hofton and somebody phoned up the taxi driver and got him to drive up this gravel road. And then once he'd driven up past us, it was a one-way road. They chopped a tree down <laughs> over the road <laughs> so he couldn't get back out. The poor guy. <laughs> and then they all ran off and he got out and phoned his mates and then they were like getting chased through the forest and I just was like what on earth is this I've gotten myself into but there were always like all sorts of things like that going on that were ridiculous you could have gotten deported do do um were some of these guys that you were training with like are they folks that made it onto like the world cup or national team or are they all kind of consigned to the annals of history um who's from um the year before i was there mike and fala was at hovden and then she was back a few times she moved to lillehammer the year i start i was in hovden but she and her brother were back a few times for they were doing some sort i think they were doing some sort of like uh um college type course thing that you could do uh, every once in a while so she was there and she was probably she was definitely the best well-known one and then on and bigland who was there as well he ended up getting a silver medal at the norwegian championships in sprint in like 2012 uh and then there were a few other guys there that did fairly well but they've all stopped now i'm the only one who's still going and then after Hobden, you you moved down to Lillehammer, correct? Like yeah. you lived in Lillehammer for a number of years as well. Yeah, so I lived in Hobden for one year and then I had two years in Lillehammer after that before I ended up in Trondheim. Yeah, right. And started your engineering degree. Are you done your engineering degree now? No, nah, mate, mate, mate. No, no, no. It's going to take yeah. me another 10 years to be finished. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> start, start in 2012 and I'm not done yet. Yeah, but that's, you know what? I'm, I'm in school full time and that's the way to go, dude. Just like keep, just keep knocking it away. <laughs> you're not missing anything in full teams. You're not missing anything in full time school. You're not, believe me. No. Um, I meant, I was meant to be doing some stuff today, but having to come on this podcast was a great excuse for not having to do any uni work. No, that, that I, that I could see. And it, 
this brings me to my next point then like through the kind of like I know it's like a quite a in some ways like boring if I'm just going through like a like a time chart of of the life of Musgrave but what I've always also found really fascinating was like, it was a scrappy scene. Like the, for people at home, like the British ski team was a scrappy, scrappy, scrappy. Oh, scene. We were, it was like, it was we like this useless. podcast. This was like the, it was like the, it was like this podcast of the, of the world cup. If you're going to compare like <laughs> this American life and whatever this is. Um, but you guys grinded away, you grinded away and the results came and you got better and better. And every once in a while, you guys would pop off like some great results. I mean, like, I'll never forget you winning the sprint at Norwegian Nationals in Lillehammer. Me neither. Uh, on on Solomon skis, uh, oh, which yeah. at that at, at that time, I love you, Frizz. I love Solomon. Everyone knows that. But man, in 2014, they weren't the best skis on planet Earth. I'm not gonna lie. But, oh, you could, we had some good ones. It was just yeah. they were not all of them were great. No, but you know the beatdown you put on every single person in that 2014 national championship sprint in Norway was the thing of legends. I mean, it was just puking snow and like guts. I think that's where like those stories of you saying, like when you were younger doing your intervals where you just go to the basement from the first second of the first interval, um, that, that paid off big in, in that, in that sprint race. Cause that was like a real coming out party for, for yourself. Of course you had good results at world juniors and under 23s, but in professional skiing, you know, juniors and under 23s seem like, they mean the world to you there and then, but really who gives a shit till yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. you become a senior, but winning the Norwegian national championship, especially in sprint where they've been so dominant for so long. And in the fashion you did was incredible. And then after that, a few years after that, you guys finally got some funding and put together like quite, quite the robust program from a really scrappy program to a really robust program in a, fairly short amount of time but after you toiled away for half a decade what was that transition like 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 it must have been super exciting but was 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 that something that Roy took over like um Andrew Young's dad who was the at the the acting head coach of the the British ski team at the at the time did he take over a lot of those administrative roles or like were you guys really involved in in kind of setting the course for for that next five-year chunk that we'll come back to when we're done talking about it so basically what happened was Roy started off coaching us um, when we were 14, 15, and then it just kind of ended up turning into this bigger and bigger endeavor. And then he was just for ages and ages, well into my senior career, he was just doing it on a voluntary basis and like spending his whole time just away with us voluntary and then going back to work when he was getting home. And then he what started he, working. What did he part- do for work? Oh, he did some sort of like teaching people IT or something, which is quite, which is quite interesting because he makes the most ridiculous spreadsheets that nobody understands. So how he ever managed to teach anybody IT, I do not know. Um, but uh, so the, so then he he was doing that like volunt on a voluntary basis, and then. Uh, Sports Scotland saw that we were doing pretty well and their goal is, one of their goals is to get as many Scottish athletes onto the British Olympic team as possible and they realised that, oh, there was this good group of skiers in Scotland and if they kind of supported us then they would be able to get a lot of 
athletes to the Olympics. So they started supporting us. And then we then Roy managed to get a job as a coach. It wasn't exactly well paid and he wasn't getting rich, but then he could do it full time. Um, and we started to get a bit more support at races and stuff like that. And the, and Sports Scotland would send along some physios. We still didn't have like the greatest wax set up, but we got a couple of people that would be along regularly to help wax skis and stuff. And it got a little bit more professional. And then the results started to improve. And that was the way it worked until 2017, when uh, we first did really well at the World Championships. Um, and then after that, UK Sport, who's the sort of national governing body for all sports in Britain, and they have the money, and they decided to support us for the next, or going into the 2018 Olympics, and then through the next cycle until now, and then we got a proper professional setup the last five years. Yeah, and that was that was also incredible because in in a short period of time, like to have the setup you guys had with like a volunteer dad and like some scrappy waxers and and stuff to the setup that you had or you still have now. But but uh, I have a few questions about it. But like you 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 picked up some like really great coaches that are insanely talented, but also so passionate about the sport. I mean, your longtime coach. Hans Christian Stedheim is uh, where you were on a private team. Thomas Osgard had a private team for many, many years and, and was kind of focused. It was actually a really cool project that Osgard had with like half the team uh, focusing on uh, normal cross country ski racing. And then half the team focused on as Lapeteers doing like the, the long races, like uh, Marshall. Lapeteers. Oh yeah. That's what they <laughs> That's are, buddy. <laughs> They're the Lapeteers just double pulling forever. Um, but like Vasilopet and, and Berkebiner and, uh, the Berkebiner, sorry. And, and Marcia Longer being the, the kind of crown jewels of that circuit. Yeah. And, and in that, in, in, in that moment, you had like Stedheim came into the program there and that's where you met him. And then you guys have had like an amazing, uh, relationship over the years. And, and for those that don't know Stedheim, like he's, he, he's a, he's a ball of energy. He's, he's like one of the most passionate people for cross-country ski you could ever If imagine. you've ever watched a cross-country ski World Cup race, you've probably heard him in the background on the TV because even yeah. if he's like, if it's, it's like a seven and a half K loop and he's at like the furthest point out three and a half K away, you'll still hear him at the stadium because uh, he shouts so loud. So you've yeah. probably heard him on TV. Yeah, no, he's, he's an incredibly passionate coach and, and a merited coach too. Uh, prior to that, I mean, if he was the coach of, of one of the biggest clubs in Oslo, Lynn and uh, Hans Christer Holland. Everybody knows the multiple world champion. And then of course the Olympic champion in Seaman Kruger as well. He was a part of that. And, and uh, yeah, so he's, he's, he's fairly well known here in Norway, but the fact that he moved over to the, for, to you guys with Great Britain, I thought was like pretty, pretty great. And then putting the team together with, with Jostein too, who is uh, a lot calmer. And, and, you know, I look to Jostein like as someone that's like pretty even keel and, probably good and with like not probably i know he's good like organizationally and and kind of like a cool head uh is he the it, assistant or a wax it's not really or? assistant no he's a he's a coach as well and it's kind of yes uh, so structure's flat so, isn't it yeah so what happened was 
going into 2018 in the Olympics there, Roy uh, Andrew's dad was the head coach, but he was what he, or to be honest, he'd been wanting to stop for about five years <laughs> because it like the whole organization had gone gone way above his head, and he said like, or he just knew the level we were at was not. He wasn't the coach for that sort of thing. He just started googling how to do cross country skiing when we were fourteen <laughs> years fourteen years old, and suddenly he was ending up at the Olympics where we were fighting for top ten positions, not far off podium, things like that. Um, and so he'd been wanting to get out. So we got involved these two Norwegian coaches, Jostein and Hans, and in after the twenty eighteen season, they took over as the two head coaches um and there it was a flat structure so both of them had the same sort of role um Andrew Andrew Young had worked with Jostein previously and I'd worked with Hans and so they both came in and I must I do have to admit I was like pretty dubious about it when they were both going to be starting because as you said they're both completely different characters and I wasn't sure how well they would work together but it's actually ended up really really well like Hans is the energetic one that has like all these ridiculous ideas and uh, Jostein's the the more calmer one that can like filter through everything that's going on do the planning and take Hans's energy and uh, direct it where it needs to be directed and like Hans has some ridiculous ideas but he also has some ridiculously good ideas as well and like the two of them working together has ended up being uh, very very good. And yeah, and as you said, like, I mean, the program became incredibly professional with the great staff, and then you guys could tie your horse to the Norwegian waxing juggernaut as well by sharing some knowledge and even getting some service support here and there with the sharing of bibs. We're not going to get all into the fist rules with, like, the different bibs and servicemen, but but it became like a kind of, a, not kind of, it became like a well-oiled professional machine, uh, which was incredible. And you guys, like you said, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, you guys put together strings of results year after year that have been really impressive. And of course there's been some, some tough, tough seasons as well with, with, with injury, not so much with you as much as uh, young, but like some, you know, some experiments tried and maybe not worked quite as well. Um, but at the championships, you guys would show up, especially you would show up ready to rock and roll and, and put together consistent racing when it, when it mattered most. And I, I would turn up at the championships and do well, and Younger would be doing everything right and getting them formers of life right before the championships, and then he'd like break his leg or yeah. he'd get COVID or do something <laughs> like that. But exactly, that's like standard procedure. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the yin and yang of the of the athlete side of things too. Not just, I mean, it has to even out. If the coaches are going to be so far apart, then you might as well do that uh, with the athletes as well. But 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 there's so many parallels between the British system as they built up and then the Canadian system. And of course, like I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I think like the Canadian sports system, uh, we, we also have a lot of government support and this program called own the podium. And again, I won't get all into it, but it, but it really is the kind of like you, you eat what you kill kind of thing and no, no real views on like long-term development or long-term like, like a stable base to create performances over time. And people that kind of hold the purse strings have no idea whatsoever about the individual sports <laughs> and, yeah. and are quick to pull funding 
and which is which is fine maybe in trampoline or in uh, other sports where you... <laughs> i don't know if the trampoline folk no, could say that's fine no no no, no it's not fine it's <laughs> that's not, a it's, controversial it's... remark yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know no but i'm just saying i'm just saying there are some sports such as trampoline no I, i'm just kidding <laughs> i take i take the trampoline i take the trampoline bit back but but there are Dude, some we're gonna get that... so much hate mail i know from the i know community um, no, but I, what I wanted to say, like the joke, I was just kind of like layered in a bit of a joke, but I guess it was a bit of a barb joke, a burn. It's like not all <laughs> sports are created, not all sports um, development models are created equally. And a sport like cross country skiing, if you want to have performance over over time and sustainable performance over time, you have to have a base, and you also have to have like a longer vision than than each quadrennial. And it seems like Great Britain and Canada are in that. In, in, with the the governmental funding structures can be can fall into that that funding structure and you guys kind of got burnt not kind of like you guys have been burnt hardcore this year with funding <coughs> being drastically reduced in an insane way to the point where like these guys these coaches have been working if i understand correctly like essentially with a lot of un, like insecurity about like where the paycheck's coming from or are they going to get paid and that sort yeah, of stuff so- so it's been a yeah. tough season. So as that, that's why I wanted to ask you, like, how has that been for you? I know that you're like a, you know, you're a seasoned athlete and you know, you've seen it all and rolled with the punches, but this side of it, it, it has that been hard to manage for you with your energy? Cause you're also training probably like a thousand hours a year and, and there's lots going on and with this sort of insecurity. And then also, also your coach, your personal coach has been like, tied like anytime there's a Norwegian coaching job that's out in the newspaper like his name comes up and you're sitting there like we got kind of shit to do here like the World Cup's coming. <laughs> I was just trying to get your perspective I was curious what your perspective has been this whole year with that whole funding structure without we don't need to get all into the weeds of like the how UK sport is funded that's not that's not my question so much as like how, how has that been as being a professional athlete where the rug kind of gets pulled out from you and there, there is a lot of yeah. So, so for, like we knew that this year to get continued funding that UK sport had set us targets and basically the key thing was performing well at the Olympics and Jungie, who is always good at altitude, managed to get COVID right before. I was just absolutely useless. Jimmy also was a little bit useless. And so we knew it was likely that we're going to get funding reduced but like to get pretty much everything pulled was uh, slightly unexpected Um, but the whole process has been really slow so it wasn't until like late summer that we knew we were definitely losing funding Um, so Hans and Jostein they had contracts until the end of the season and the cross or GB Snowsport, who are the federation for all the fists events in Britain, so like cross country and alpine, they said they would be able to keep enough. They had enough funds to keep uh, the program sort of ticking over until the middle of summer, when we would find out whether we were getting UK sport funding for the next cycle or not. Um, so Hans and Jostein uh, didn't have a contract, but they got paid a bit until the middle of summer and then we found out we were getting funding pulled and since then they have not been employed by the ski federation but both of them have been absolute legends and have realized that if we're going to make the team work then we've got to have a model where we 
get our own sponsorship in and both of them been working hard on that front to try and save the team and get some sponsors in um and so from my side of things last season i didn't think about it because i was 100% sure I was going to go really fast at the Olympics. <laughs> and then after that, I was just focused on getting the season done. And then once the season was done, I knew there was a chance we were going to get funded, reduced um, or pulled. But I was like, right, there's nothing I can do about the team funding. I'm going to race next year, no matter what, even if I've got to travel around by myself with my own skis, my own suitcase, then I'd find a way of making it work. And I've just been smashing out the training and not worried about things and so we haven't had any training camps since uh june um and i've just been on my own training back in tron time and then we have done a couple me andrew and james we trip we've tended the last year we trained with this austrian guy mika vermoulin and he's got a house in the hammer so we've done a couple of training camps just us four all together where we go down to little hammer stay at his house make food so we've got the got the job done and like I to be honest it, it I've kind of I feel like I've stagnated a little bit the last few years I have I've not improved as a skier and so for me a bit of a kick in the arse is isn't necessarily a bad thing so I think it's been a bit of a wake-up call for me it's like okay if I'm going to make this work, then I've got to go fast at World Cup because I've got to be making prize money if I'm going to get things to work, be able to afford to do the races. And I've got to stay in red group to be able to cover costs, things like that. So I feel like on the one hand, it's a little bit crap. You're a little bit unsure about how things are going to go. But at the same time, I think it might have been the wake up call I needed to like, I'm not exactly young now. If I'm going to, if I'm, this is my last few years where I do have a chance of, uh, being a properly good skier so I've got to do something different I've got to be better than I've been um so it's it's been a little bit negative but at the same time a little bit positive for me as well so does that mean is that like does it sound like are you are you committed to the next Olympics then is that kind of right now from in real skiing uh before going over to I don't know if you're thinking about doing law but I shouldn't say real skiing even now I'm really giving you a big deal because I have a ton of respect because I have a ton of respect for, for um, I have a ton of respect for the law guys they're they're beasts they're total beasts but my, uh, I, my, I mean like traditional traditional skiing is yeah. is there a timeline there or are you just kind of taking it season by season at this point I definitely feel like I've got another Olympics in me um, nice. but I, I really like long distance skiing as well I think it's dead fun going along doing some of the bigger races and so I uh, next year I've said I'm going to be racing a few races in the long distance circuit with team Nining Spunkin um, but my main focus is is going to be World Cup it's the World Championships it's like where when I am doing my last interval on a like lactate session where everything hurts and I'm just like visualizing winning the most important race then it's like the Olympics is the world championships. I think about it. It's not the last of it. Yeah. That's kind of, that's are, what I dream about. Are you, are you guys, I mean, does it look like, I know you guys did a, a kind of crowdfunding campaign and I should probably disclose. I, I think I put up like a hundred bucks. So oh, Godspeed God God to the, what uh, a legend God uh, to the British Olympic team. But like, are you guys going to be able to like, Keep your coaches and and like race on the world cup and have like professional waxing or is, so, and, and are you able to pay your rent or like how's that all looking right now um 
I am lucky I've just got myself a new sponsor, um, Carter Partners, which is like a management consultancy firm here in Norway. And so that's helping me uh, be able to keep things ticking over now um, until the season. Um, and so for me, I'm all right now for training and surviving. Um, the team the crowdfunding has been absolutely awesome that's going to go a long way to covering a waxer for us for the season um it's so people have been absolute legends everyone who's donated it's it's like going to make a proper difference to us that we're for the majority of races now we'll be able to have a waxer um and Jostein and Hans as I said have been working hard to try and get some sponsors and nothing is definite at the moment but it's looking positive on that front um so hopefully um we will be able to have a full world cup season um, and, and do you guys i am really curious like the your sponsor and the sponsors you guys are soliciting like are are you getting any sponsors from great britain or scotland or is it all like scandinavians because that's the only people who look at your hat when you're on television and care about cross-country yeah skiers. or it's because I'm based in Norway and cross-country skiing is so big in Norway, I, for me, it's easy. It's the Norwegian sponsors I've always had. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. But like, I think the, like Norwegian sponsors that work in Britain is a good way to try and attract sponsors as well, because there are a lot of, uh, Norwegian companies that also have uh, offices and things in Britain so um, but it's most, mostly been Norwegian sponsors yeah Norwegians absolutely love skiing <laughs> oh yes they're way into so, it can I, can I throw another couple questions in here that are burning, burning ones but the one, one that I have is um, I mean you got, I, I'm not the most expert, but I guess I pay enough attention. I mean, you guys have had, you know, you and, and Andrew and James have had like pretty amazing, obviously unprecedented success, like on the world, on the international circuit as British cross country skiers. Um, just thinking about sort of the funding and the future aspect of this, like I'm not aware of any like 18 or 20 year old British phenoms that like I could you know if I were the guy in charge of like investing in sports and choosing which ones in Great Britain like I'm not seeing like the next Andrew Musgrave and like is that is that part of yeah, to the extent that you guys got an explanation like did, did, is there a next generation of, of British cross-country skiers or is it like we might four years from, from you and Andrew and it's kind of like this will be known as like the golden days of British cross-country skiing and then it sort of will fade into history and they'll go back to paying attention to like cycling and cricket and other stuff. <laughs> well, at the moment, we've just been robbing lots of Canadian skiers. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> Nat, Nat, we are getting poached like the Diddy by Musgrave and company. So Joe Davies, you can keep your eye out for him. He's a, he's, he's a promising young athlete. Um, and then some really, really young, younger girls that have uh, joined the British program from Canada um it'll be exciting to follow those younger athletes as as they transition so that that's that's why i've been asking so many questions about your about like kind of the organizational structure because i think it's just like oh it's kind of 
a heartbreaking timing for some of these young talents and like Joe, for example, I don't know how his training's been. You probably maybe you haven't seen him around, but like, uh, he's, Lot, he's, Joe he's came strong... over for Joe came over for training camp in the summer. Yeah. And then he was going back to Canada after that for the summer. And the first thing that happened was he came along. I said hi to him. We did a training session. Then we were sharing a room, went to bed and I started, I woke up feeling a bit crap in the night. So I got COVID oh, <laughs> sharing shit. a room with him and I like oh, no. moved out and tried to like, uh, try and get my way home without infecting half of Norway. And then poor Joe was absolutely terrified. He was going to get it because he'd never had it. He was just oh, no, for Norway. Oh, I was, so I've, I've, uh, spent half a day with Joe and managed yeah, he's to a good almost guy. infect him with COVID. Good. Um, well, good. Good. On he's you. coming back across uh, to Norway um, in not that long. So then, before the season kicks off, we'll get some training done together. So yeah. be good. I think he's he's a promising young athlete, and I think yeah. it is funny that you guys are are, are poaching Canadian <laughs> Canadian athletes. But you know what? Uh, it's an all hands on deck. It's a great question, though, Nat. Like that. That is. And it's an important question too, because I don't know, like not to be, I'm just such a negative Nancy when it comes to male cross-country skiing these days, but like we need teams like Britain to keep developing. We need Canada. They're developing well now. Uh, the younger guys are c- coming online, but um, we need other countries to start making some waves because it's, uh, it's grim out there. I mean, at least my perspective. I mean, uh, there's a lot of great skiers in the nah, world. I've never heard you complain about this I know, on your podcast I know. before. <laughs> but dude, cause it's the fact. And the reason why I repeat myself yeah. is I actually love watching skiing. I love being involved yeah. in, and I still love cross-country skiing. And I, we just need teams with depth that can that can compete against uh, Norway. I mean, with Russia not not racing this winter, most likely. Um, you know, we, it, this the, the, these small kind of niche yeah, it is challenges. It is a bit ridiculous. Big. Like yeah, like I I was looking back at the or I looked back at the uh, overall World Cup the other day just to see like. Uh, what the difference would be with no Russians. And like, I felt like I had a bit of a crap season last year. Um, uh, but like, I, in front of me, there was Russians, Norwegians, and Niskanen. There exactly. Was, and like, oh, that's on the distance cup. Exactly. Um, and so like, we really could do with a few other countries getting involved there. Um, For sure. And, and, and that like, brings... Uh, Sorry, go on. I just keep interrupting. My bad. Uh, no, I was I was just gonna say like yeah, we like I so I was the four or the first the fourth nation was British in the distance cup, but like there were still about a million Russians and a million Norwegians in front of me. So we definitely need to do something to stop the results looking so ridiculous like that. And and what does that what does that do for you? I mean, like you're you're an older athlete, so like. I mean, I was, I was in your shoes not that, that long ago. So I know probably what you're going to say, but I still have to ask, like, how, how does that make you feel? Like, was you come into the season and you know that the best or second best, like whatever, Norway and Russia from the men's side of things, especially on the distance, distance skiing, like they're interchangeably good. Like they're both really, really strong. Is it, do you look at it like kind of like an, op- I mean, for you, especially with like a funding challenge, I guess it's a huge opportunity because like, man, that's a lot of money on the results list. As long as you can have solid races, if you can take seven of those guys out of there, eight, if you look at like in some of the races with the continental cup spots and stuff, but, but on the other side, sport, top sports always about like competing against the best. 
in, at least it has been for me, it's like, you want all the best to show up and then ch- to, to kind of mark yourself against the best skiers in the world and knowing that one of the best ski nations in the world isn't going to be there. Um, like you can have a legendary season, you know, on, on paper, like on the results side of things, like with like crazy amounts of world cup podiums, but, but do you think about, is that something you think about or is it just like, so yeah, beyond yeah, our yeah, control? Yeah. Definitely. Because like, because like you could, you could have medals at the world championships. And in one sense, it's like, what do you, you can't control international politics that are creating this insane situation. So that that's not on you to find the solution. But at the same time, you know, you'll know that like Bolshinov wasn't there and Ustigov wasn't there yeah. and Chivotkin and all the boys weren't there. But I think it's curious your perspective on that. No, I think it's like, it's going to be crap that the Russians aren't going to be there. Um, and like, I think it's so difficult the whole situation. Like, because oh, yeah. I put myself in, if I put myself in a Russian shoes, like maybe against the war, but afraid to speak out, and yeah, like, what can. you want to do is ski, and you yeah. like, and you're not even allowed to do that anymore, and like, yeah. that is pretty crap. Um, but at the same time, like, some of them are in putin's private army it's like should they be being able to compete it's like it's just sure. an absolute shit storm the whole situation it's oh for sure uh and like i really really wish the russians were there um racing but also with the way things are it's yeah it's understandable they're not gonna totally. be there. Totally. but the, the whole situation is just super hard and like nobody's winning from this and no. like yeah, it's just crap. And for me, it's like you said, I want all the best athletes to be there. You don't want to win and feel like, oh, I only won because Bolshinov wasn't there. Yeah, um, and that will be. I, I mean, I, at least I would I would feel that way if I was still Yeah, that's definitely skier. how it's going to be. Like, for sure it would be. Um, and like, but there's nothing yeah, you can do about it. No, no, so there's nothing. Like... Nah, it's just a generally very crap situation, the whole thing. Yeah, um, no, for sure. Yeah, hey, we can blame the Russian government for that. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, seriously, it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, it's like, I guess all the Russian team members are like citizens of Russia, but like, I don't know how much you can really call Russia like a democratic place. And it's like, you know, if we want to be mad at someone, we probably should be mad at the dude that like caused this whole mess. And it's like not any of the skiers, you know, obviously, but. Yeah, 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 yeah def- definitely. It's not like, <sighs> I don't dislike the Russian cross-country skiers or the individuals. They're they're not the Russian government. They're not Putin. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, exactly. And it just it's a challenging time. I just also think like it, it, it's a really challenging time too. With with uh, you know, Fist is struggling. I mean, we, you got to just call it what it is. Like Fist cross-country skiing is struggling, and I mean they're going to have to reinvent themselves somehow or. or, or make some changes and they're, they're making some changes with like the equal distance stuff. I don't know how you feel about that. You can comment on that if you want, but like, you know, they're trying to change the distances, trying to be a bit more modern in that, in that sense. But, you know, biathlon has just been kicking our ass with production and excitement and storylines. And because they've and got that, people that know how to do TV production because they've exactly. got a million different do, people exactly. doing TV production and they yeah, don't just exactly. film trees in Davos. Yeah, exactly. I know <laughs> on, on like an iPhone four. But it's a sweet Three. iPhone 4. It's bejeweled. It's a bejeweled iPhone 4 that the 80-year-old um, guy's holding. 
And there's and there's some really nice trees he's filming as well. Yeah, super nice, especially with the snow. After it snows, like some of those alpine snowstorms that can rip down, like yeah. those are nice trees. No, for sure. Well, <laughs> like so, there is challenge. There is there is challenges with 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 that side of thing. And then I just I guess to finish the my thoughts on it is like it, it is just yeah it's kind of like from bad to worse you know what I mean like you have you have this challenge already and then now all of a sudden you're missing great athletes and then there is no right answer you, well, like letting the Russians race right now is like obviously not going to happen <laughs> like it doesn't really matter what you think Muzzy or Nat or me it, it doesn't matter we have no control over that and and the situation looks like it's getting worse not better so we all just have to understand that in like Planitza and on the World Cup it's, it's going to look very different yeah so, so actually I'd, I'd be really curious to ask Andrew about that. I mean, I, like I am sort of vividly recalling this moment from from Beijing when, um, you know, if people weren't paying attention in Beijing, um, they made a last minute decision to change the uh, 50 kilometer like crown jewel men's men's race, probably the one that Andrew when he was talking about, you know, in, in like visualizing winning the races in his in awful interval workouts, that was probably the race he was uh envisioning and that it's a last minute um fist in the olympics made the decision like literally like an hour before the race because of like crazy winds and cold to like drop that distance to um 28 kilometers we saw at the same time like biathlon had a race scheduled for that day or the day before when the weather was bad they made the decision like previously to like reschedule the race to avoid the weather and i remember like andrew you know, we were all kind of, all the reporters were like trying to figure out like what's going on and, and where were people at with this? And then it's like, Andrew on Twitter was like, this is like the biggest pile of garbage I've ever seen in my whole <laughs> life. And I was like, well, I guess I don't even have to do any reporting now because I can just quote this uh, statement on Twitter. But I am curious. I mean, my sense is that like, you know, if, if you were really like psyched about all the decisions that your sports governing body had been making up to that point, like maybe you would have been a little more generous and, and I, you know, oh, no, no, about- it was a ridiculous decision. I wouldn't have been more generous. <laughs> well, any, anyway, but you, you know, your comments about TV production too. And I, I guess I'm just curious, like from an athlete's perspective, like what it's like to watch you know, the sport that you're particip- participating in kind of falling behind in the way that sort of you and Devin just kind of referenced. Oh, it does, does my head in because like some of the venues, like the, it's just like, you see like when there's TV production in Norway, it's, it's they can make it work. Oh, well, yeah. How can, how can like Swiss are so good at building trains? Why can't they do a bloody TV production that works? Like actually film the people that are going fast and like have more than just a camera out the start. It's like, it's possible to do good production and make an interesting ski race, even if it's interval start. Like the, Nor- yeah, like I said, the Norwegians manage it. So it, ju- it just does my head in and it's like, and then it makes it puts me off. Like I'm an absolute massive cross country ski nerd, and when I end up just faffing around on my phone looking at Instagram because the TV production's so bad, then like, how is anybody who's not a cross country or like super interested in cross country skiing going to get interested in it? It's just like they need to make sure that the people doing the production know what they're up to, and the way it is at the moment, that's just not working. You oh, get sure. Farland, then- you get Holman Colton, you get the Norwegian ones, and then occasionally there's one of the European ones that managed to make it work, but about 80% of them don't. 
No, for sure. And I think, I think too, like I totally agree with you production wise, like hundred percent. But I think also, we're also struggling a little bit on the men's side with, with uh, like characters too, you know, like I think what happened with track and field there with Usain Bolt retiring, like we were just like track and field was just so drunk on the magic that was Usain Bolt and like how charismatic he was and how he like carried like I, I'm a humongous track and field dork. So like, it doesn't matter who's around. I'm going to follow it closely, but, but Usain Bolt was like a big show and a big draw. Mm-hmm. And, and Petter was that draw for us. Like, I yeah. mean, Petter, Petter kind of changed what, what it meant to be a cross country skier, really. Like at least, yeah. at least out in the media and all this, not just his antics off, off the trail, but also like in, in the race and the shit talk he would say, and you know, and, and we, we as a sport, like kind of got, pulled into that to the point where like now like Petter Nortug is like out of shape and doing like some lop it and wins an intermediate sprint and like we're not interviewing the people that win the race we don't give a shit to ask like the world cup skiers how their training is going like I'm not reading articles on articles about how Holland's training's been going but I am reading about but I'm reading about like how like Petter is like doing some roller skiing and he's gonna like smash around some loppets like this like we we just we, we even in Norway, even in the Mecca of skiing, we can't get away from the fact that like yeah. this, we want we want the glory days, and it's man, oh man, like it, it's in a it's a bad place to me. Uh, Petter loved the guy, uh, and he's been awesome for skiing. It's great, but um, but at the same time, it's like when I when I see the the kind of interest in media interest in like a guy who's straight up been retired forever and has made some questionable decisions, <laughs> take and at the expense of interviewing people that are like smashing hours and like really gunning to win world championships again. And like say Holland wins the world individual race at the world championships. That's three, that'd be like three individual world championship golds in three separate championships. Like this is legend stuff. And like, Nope, we don't care. Petter won a sprint cream and blink. Like, okay. (laughs) So we're, so we're not going to encourage like Andrew that you should be doing cocaine or other drugs, but I, but you know, this is your opportunity. If you want to start like Uh, my my plan for this season is I'm going to start like winning all the races and I'm just going to go like nuts and start like running around naked in the finish area and all sorts. And then we'll be be back on top. Yeah. Back on top. Bathroom won't have anything on us anymore. I love it. (laughs) Do it. Do it, man. Do it. Make sure you do it when it's warm out though. I guess you've have a long-term girlfriend, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can, can I ask? Don't want to cut off any, you know, other antics. Um, I, I, but uh, I, I, there was this question that I told Devin I was going to ask you this, and, and I mostly ask it in jest, but I, I am sort of just curious to hear like your reaction to it, which is like, you know, Devin and I were talking the other day, and I was like, you know, it'd be great to like talk to, to Musgrave, and like, I really want to ask him, like, is he even really British anymore? Because, you know, you live in Norway and your coaches are Norwegian and you speak fluent Norwegian and you're a Norwegian national champion. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how do you respond to that question? I mean, like, obviously your, uh, your English is still pretty good and uh, you race. Oh, my under, English like... is actually getting a little <laughs> bit crap. That's, that's the, like, I, when I was, I was back in Britain uh, in uh july and there were like some sentences i said and i'd like say a sentence and i was like is that even english if i just put some like norwegian words there that sound vaguely english and can't quite work out so i'm not even any good at english anymore 
Yeah. So like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you like, are you going to stay Do you think, do you see yourself living the rest of your life in Norway? Like, are you part Norwegian now or like, where, where are you at on like sort of who you are? Oh, I am very definitely not a Norwegian, uh, still British. Um, where I'm going to stay living for the rest of my life remains to be seen, but I wouldn't be surprised if I end up in Norway. Um, but like, I'm not like, I just absolutely, to be honest, I'm an absolute massive cross-country ski nerd. So like all I think about is going skiing. I'd like my long-term future plans don't involve anything other than just being really good at skiing. So <laughs> I haven't thought any further than that. And I'm just going to keep skiing until about 90. But that's my plan for life. Well, then Norway's a good, good place to do it. Norway's a good place yeah. to do that. And how that's is true. like, and how is like, how has the training been going this year? Like, like aside from all the bullshit we all just covered and stuff, but like, do you feel like you're on track? Are you excited for the, I mean, we covered like the Debbie Downer part of like no Russians, blah, 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 blah. But like, regardless, there's some races that are coming up, big races every time. I mean, Kusmo is not going anywhere. Uh, like, you know, Ruk is the same course as always. And, and a um, couple of great weekends back to back here in Norway. And then it is Planitza. I mean, like looking ahead to the, to the world championships, another championship, another chance to take a crack at it and, and take that step from fourth up to, to the podium. So there's lots to chase. And, and how are you feeling as the season gets going? Like personally, not without all the, the BS around it. It's, it's like I said a minute ago, like the whole British team going to pot situation has been almost a bit good for me and like I feel like my training this year has been more focused and like it's been a long time since I felt I've changed a few things in the way I've done training and I think sometimes you just need a little bit do things a little bit different I think it's been good for me so I've been feeling really good and like if I don't race fast this winter then I at the moment I've got no excuses I'm sure I'll be able to think of some good excuse if I do crap Honest. but like to be to be honest like training's been going good so I, I really can't complain I'm looking forward to getting back racing or oh, sort cool. of dreading it because I did a interval session yesterday and I did almost shit myself uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking forward to getting back to races and having that feeling every, every three times a week every week oh yeah that's the bed you made though you sleep in the bed you made Muzzy that's the deal <laughs> I go up for like an hour run at like ungodly hours during the day at like the world's worst pace where you just like total garbage hours, like high zone two. And I, I feel like that. So I don't know. <laughs> oh, high, it's zone when you two do high zone two training is underrated. People say it's garbage, <laughs> but I reckon if you're not doing massive hours, then that's the way to go. There's no point I in fucking around. I and know. Oh yeah. Slow. That no that's true that's true but i don't run fast either i just kind of like run this like just garbage time yeah but you're running faster than if you'd run slow oh, yeah that's true good point yeah that's the uh, philosophy that's some british philosophy right there <laughs> <laughs> is there yeah. um is there, is there any chance that um the the i forget the british sport overlords like are they the kind of folks that like you guys have one good season and you're on the world cup podium and everything you know the humpty dumpty of the british team gets put back together or is that ship kind of sailed until like some 20 year olds like are on the world cup podium i think something? probably me winning is not as important as somebody young winning but at the same time if i win the world champs then there's a hope that we they could look and be like oh it's quite good after all. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll give him a little bit of money. <laughs> no pressure. I, I, I don't, I don't really know. To be honest, my plan is just to like 
go really fast and like Devin said become the new pet in Nordic and then like all yeah. the sponsors just come to British Ski and then we'll have a bigger budget anyway and then we'll exactly. just, I'll just be getting rich uh, yeah. the other guys will be getting rich too we'll just be winning races totally driving drunk plan- it's gonna be awesome this has basically been my plan every season. It's not not worked out so far, but it's, it's my plan again this season, and I'm pretty sure it's going to work out this time. No, for sure. You just keep bashing that head against the wall. You got to break through at some point. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, more more skiing at high level too, and and then we can hear the word rich. Yeah, that's what I've not been doing this time. year. Damn it! <laughs> I knew though. Look, I've got a month left until the race season starts, so yeah. it's just going to be high level two now. I'm just going to be yeah. phoning Devin and asking yeah, him. Yeah, for I... sure. Just come down through Oslo. When you come through Oslo, we'll just like smash garbage <laughs> garbage time together. It'd be great. But it might be at like 8.30 p.m. or something, or like if I'm coming out of the lab late and stuff. It's like so. 8.30 p.m. is perfect time for yeah, training. Good. That's, yeah, that's exactly. why Peter was good in Nordic. He yeah, always trained yeah. at like ridiculous times. Oh, it's crazy. Like I remember like in Ruka where you're heading the first world cups of the year in Ruka and they, we stay in like these apartment things with like these kind of like there's decks and stuff. And our massage therapist was just hearing like, boom, 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 boom at like 1130 PM. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And he just kept hearing it. He like pokes his head out, Petter North tugs on like the deck. I was on like the second floor of like, you know, the apartments in Ruka Muzzy. Yeah. and he had set up his hurdles because it was so much snow all over the place, but on the deck, it's all, they're all covered deck. Yeah. So he set up his hurdles and he was doing like hurdle hops right outside our massage therapist's like room <laughs> at 11.30 PM. And like, and, um, and I, both I like, men, like our I massage like therapist you... is like, what the hell are you doing out here, Petter? Like, get out of here. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> late, late 8.30 is like, he's not even thinking about training at, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm in bed by 11.30. That's well oh, past yeah. my bedtime. Oh, well past my bedtime now, too. But I I appreciate it. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you forever. I mean, I don't know if now has any more questions. I, I have one major question, like, but I don't think we're going to really be able to sneak it in right now because I think it could be a... Bob, we can do it a little bit. Do you have a, five minutes? That's how we oh, do it. Oh, mate, go, go. I'm so intrigued now. You can't, yeah. you can't, yeah, I know, you can't exactly. hang up with that. Well, well, you know, no, but it's not going to be something that maybe it's, it's like a tough discussion to think about because I know, like there was some years there like where you, you took some like kind of like interesting, I don't want to say risks. Well, yeah, they were risks. They were hundred percent risks in your training, but also like in your, the way you were fueling yourself in training. And, you know, it was like, there was some other athletes that also kind of got caught up in that and it didn't work out for them that well, or worked out for a bit and it didn't work out. Like, can you talk like, how do you come up with the cutting edge of like what I'm, what I'm alluding to is like Didrik Tonseth was also doing some of this stuff where like you guys wouldn't eat any breakfast. You wouldn't eat anything and you get out there and do like four or five hour training sessions on no fuel. And uh, that kind yeah. of blew up in your guys's face <laughs> straight up. But um, nah, nah. So the, so the thing is like, that sounds ridiculous, but I've done that since I, for the last, 10 years I've done sessions like that yeah so what, what you're referring to is me absolute uh me and my ridiculous season 2019 2020 where I just had to give up halfway through the season because I couldn't like even make it into the top 50 um so the but what happened what happened then was we got a new nutritionist that started working with us and he'd come from cycling and like he'd worked with team sky and all this and 
he brought over some of the things they'd done in cycling and he did everything in this really structured way and one of the things we talked about was like optimizing nutrition optimizing body composition weight and so we did all this like discussing about what my optimum weight was and things like that and then I did a couple months in the summer where uh, I did like a food diary and uh, kept track of my weight and then Nigel looked at it and he was like okay so then he made a food plan for me for the couple weeks after that as like a little test this was in the middle of summer and it was going to be a wee test about how we would do things before the season and into the world champs and he made this plan where he thought I would be able to lose a little bit of weight but still be able to train well and then it worked super well and I was feeling amazing I was like winning all the roller ski races in the summer and like and then I, I just kind of got a little bit obsessed with that and I was like instead of like training being the focus it was like oh body composition was got what was going to make me beat Holland on the uphills I was going to smash the hours and get super skinny and then so Nigel was in charge of the nutrition but like he'd made this super good plan in the summer and then all I needed to do was do that again but like in the summer he'd made this plan where it was like okay so you're having this amount of salad you're having this amount of this and like in the summer I, when he said I was having a salad it was like I would make this massive salad and like two kilos of feta cheese and all this stuff <laughs> and then he thought this was like oh, the optimal plan because everything worked so well and then he and then in the winter I was meant to be doing like a similar sort of thing and then instead of like having two kilos of feta cheese I was having like two leaves of lettuce and then I was just under fueling and like I was super happy because I was dead light but it's not particularly constructive when you're going two minutes slower than when you're five kilos heavier and then I realized racing in December that I just pushed it too far and I was an absolute heap of crap um and that I needed to like uh start fueling a little bit better but when my body was used to just like being under fuel all the time as soon as I start what I wanted to do was what I did was just start going back to eating my normal sort of diet. But when I hadn't been doing that for a few months and I started eating normal again, my body just like absorbed everything. And before I, before Ruka, I was down at 73 kilos and then pre tour de ski, I was up at 82. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, and the thing was, I hadn't, I don't think I'd actually screwed myself that badly. The thing was, I just went up to this weight that my body wasn't used to being at. And so if I'm, it's like, it was like doing races with a 10 kilo weight vest on. And it's no wonder <laughs> yeah, I was going slow. Just, just for the listeners, that's 20, 20 American pounds, which is like, uh, for anyone, probably a large swing in your weight over the course of uh, yeah. a couple of months. So, so like, by like I kept pushing through and like by the end of the tour de ski I felt like I was back to myself and I could push super hard and like my body was responding properly it's just I was 10 kilos heavier than what my body was used to so it was like I would have a I remember the last or the Val de Fiemme stage of the tour de ski I felt like I had like a higher heart rate than I'd had for five <laughs> years and like pushed myself harder than I'd ever managed and like I did everything right and I had a good day but I was like 60th or something like that 
and then I kept pushing on and thinking like my body would adapt to it and I'd get used to it but like I was just so demoralized <laughs> by the time we got to February that I was just like, there's not any point I just need to like chill out take a month off and get back to things and then uh yeah I just kind of gave up and then started focusing on the next season and got back to it but yeah, so but I then still it have well. a yeah so but like no, I still use Nigel uh, speak to him a lot and like it was I was ridiculous but I learned a lot from it so like I still think nutrition is like dead important but I'm a little bit more not an idiot about it now uh, no, but I'm, I'm what, what was the lesson there I mean it was it sort of like was it okay to sort of target a different body position like up to a point and you went too far or is it really like you actually had a good body composition before and you just should eat more salad because that's healthier no no it's like fine it's you've got to optimize everything so you've got to optimize body composition but it's what i did was a little bit like oh doing it say 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 the, the focus was interval training or something instead of nutrition it would be like i did a plan in june to test out what was going to work in the winter and i did like all these I did like three intervals a week and worked out that, oh yeah, that was really good. And then I get to the winter and it's like, oh yeah, those intervals I were doing were really good. Maybe I'll do 20 of them a week instead. That's a little bit like what I did. And it's like, and and Nigel just didn't know what the hell I was up to because he couldn't, he... He's sitting in the UK. Like he's not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he saw the plan I'd had, the plan he'd, I'd had in the summer was the same plan I had in the winter, but it's just like uh the two kilos of feta cheese difference in my salad he didn't know about (laughs) it was just me and like so it's just it's just like you've got a basically it's just being sensible and having a good plan and like working out what the important things are and and then also having indicators to look at and like um if things aren't going well then you've got to sit down and really analyze what's going on rather than just like convincing yourself that no, no, just do another couple of weeks and you'll be good yeah no um, but it's but but it is so easy it is like especially this is what i wanted to ask you about this because like this is you know this is kind of like a hot topic also here in norway um just like with eating and food and everything like that but it is it, it is something that like it's so easy for type a people to fall into because there is so much insecurity you have no idea like skiing isn't swimming it's not running it's not cycling we have watts or like in running if you're smashing together all these workouts and hitting your times like you're coming to the championship and like it's kind of up to you to just deliver what you've been doing whereas in skiing like yeah you can be feeling like a boss in your intervals and like testing and all this sort of stuff but you have no idea you do but you don't it's kind of a weird thing with cross-country skiing and and like once you start getting going down that path i mean we had team nutritionists team nutritionists too where like people me myself included like weighing food and like stuff like that like the whole deal and it's easy to go over the other side because you can see you it's like you want to control stuff and in a sport like cross-country skiing there's so much uncontrollable variables uh it's really easy to tip over the edge so i i think you did a good job of like a cautionary tale like you got to be careful but, like, but you it's, need to have it's the just fuel. like yeah so it's like the same with everything though it's like everything you do is important the training you use is important yeah. the recovery you do is important it's just doing them all to the optimum and the optimum isn't doing them to the extreme necessarily it's like training i could train 2000 hours a year if i want but it wouldn't make me a faster skier or i could recover and 
only undo like 200 hours of foam roll in a month but like that wouldn't make me a better skier either and it's the same with nutrition like obviously nutrition is massive and body composition is a, is a massive factor but just skinnier isn't necessarily better it's about, totally. about the optimum yeah i know exactly and that's I feel what a lot like of people don't just... understand that lighter isn't necessarily better it's finding what's optimum for you and i feel like we should just say um don't don't get don't take your nutrition advice from uh you know uh co-hosts kershaw and hers who are not professionals like <laughs> this is stuff that Never. like you should be, you know, uh, uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Don't get this advice from me or this podcast. Like, if you're thinking about messing with that stuff, like, I think that's only something you should be doing with, like, a nutritionist, a professional. And I also feel like it's important to just remind folks that, like, um, this stuff is important, but also, like, you know, you see folks, again, of, like, all different body sizes and shapes and composition, like, doing well in skiing. And so it's not a determinant. Of course, and, of, co yeah. of course not. And the thing is, the thing is that is important to talk about is like, I think Musgrave's story is like a, a kind of good cautionary tale. Like a, there's a professional that's looking for the marginal game, like that 0.1% that's going to take them from seventh at the world championships to third. And this is a strategy you thought. And, and even with that, even with all your experience, it's easy to like throw caution to the wind. If things are going well, you're just like, we're just going to keep on this path till it blows up in your face. And you're like, yeah. okay, wow, that was, that was a mistake. And this is a professional athlete that's working with like a nutritionist that's worked with team sky at the time, which was the best professional cycling team in the world. And, you know, a plan like best laid plans are just that if, if, if like Muzzy said, like the nutritionist doesn't really understand like what you're putting in your salad and you're in Ruka and like that salad's a piece of shit compared to the salad <laughs> you're eating in July. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's like, but, but, but that said, I think, it, I think it is super important to understand like if you're a young skier or if you're a master skier and you're trying to gain like 20%, not 0.1%, it ain't the salad. Like no, no, that, that's you also gotta, you got to get, get out and train. You got to just do a better job of like your cardiovascular fitness period. Yeah. And like, that's, it ain't that's also a thing you see like that does my head in a little bit. You'll see people that like, totally. They're like when I was doing that, I was still smashing out the hours and stuff. And you see yeah. people that think that like, that's the way they're going to get good. It's like, Oh, yeah. you see some of the top skiers, they're super light um oh that's the that's the way you've got to be to be good oh maybe you should look at the thousand hours a year of going super fast and smashing out intervals and lifting totally. weights these people are doing uh that maybe that's the more important side of things um totally like obviously okay. everything pays a contributing factor but the main thing is just the quality of training you can do the better totally. you train the faster you're going to race so that's totally over time, that, the that's the, the, that's the main that's ba that's totally. the main thing I learned from the nineteen twenty season. It's just that it's the I was still doing a lot of hours. I was doing a lot of intervals, but there was just a load of crap because I was a bit shagged all the time. Um, and it's about the quality. It's not about the quantity or the or or quantity is important, but it's it's not about the other things the most important factor is just doing the best quality training you can manage um if you're going slightly faster on all your ski sessions all your interval sessions and you recover better uh 
then it doesn't matter if, what your weight is. If you're going faster, then you're going faster. Um, that's priority one. Exactly. So that's the main thing I learned from that season. Oh, that, that's great. And I think that's I'm a just, great... I, I no, think no, like, I, it's the antithesis gotta, of this podcast. That's the beautiful thing. Like We are less quality and less quantity <laughs> and uh, oh, mate, you speak so much you're you have so much quantity of speaking because you never shut up so yeah, you have true. there's a lot of quant- quantity but not a lot of quality yeah. exactly it's the antithesis it's an antiport of that so that's um that's serving us not well but we should let you get on with your evening and not get on with whatever Maine has to offer and i'll uh pretend i'm gonna look at some gastrointestinal physiology slash probably won't and call it a day gastro oh i i could have done after those intervals i did yesterday i could have done with someone who was a gastrointestinal (laughs) expert because mate the toilet did not look it was like a crime scene after doing doing intervals and like i was just like lying in a ball all evening because that's such a sore stomach and that's why i'm gonna i'm gonna be phoning you to ask you what to do next time i do some intervals no, you won't, because I will, I promise you this, there is a 0% chance I'll be a gastroenterologist. So with all your gastro issues, please. <laughs> I, I, was think, I, was thinking, uh, I was thinking maybe, Devin, you could, uh, you know, since the British team is so hard up, you could be the volunteer gastroenterologist for the yeah, uh, exactly. British cross-country ski team. I need to say two things, one of which is um, I won the trash talking award in my spring sports league, which I was like, there was a specific caveat that it was based on quality, uh, quantity, not quality. Uh, and then the other thing I need to say is that feta cheese is absolute garbage. And that was probably the problem for you in, in 2019, 2020 for you, uh, Andrew. And uh, just with that advice, cut feta cheese. Out no, no, no. But I was going fast. I was going fast in the summer when I was eating all that feta cheese. And I stopped mm. and I sacked off all those calories in the winter. And then I stopped going fast. It, it was, so it my, was... I think it's probably the feta cheese that was making me fast at the roller ski races. No, I think the, I think the like deleterious effects are delayed and it probably just hit you in uh, <laughs> November, December. So, no, yeah, no, sorry. no. Can, you cannot be slagging off feta cheese, mate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Controversial. Or you or you're like de- or you got you were eating such high volumes of it, Muzzy, that you got your bot your like system got desensitized to it and it wasn't absorbing it properly. And then you cut it there out at the same time and then just things went totally haywire. Oh, that, that <laughs> yeah. could be it. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. But I, I appreciate you taking the time talking shit. Nah, good, and, fun. Uh, good luck. Good luck in the season. We'll be following and we'll we'll make sure to get you back on repeat guest this yeah, get, year. Yeah. Yeah, get me back this on year, the winter, and then we'll oh, like yeah. slag off all the other folks that are racing, and then yeah, for sure, we'll do that. We'll and definitely. It's like I said, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the new pet in Ortug this winter, so like yeah, everyone's perfect. gonna love me. And well, is, gonna make you... I mean, can we just can we quickly get you to like trash talk like someone before the season starts, <laughs> uh, just just right now before we sign off? Like that. Can be um, who, who can I? Um. Uh, oh, I, put me on the spot here. I don't. I don't know who to trash talk. Um, you know what? That's all you're going to be a repeat guest, man. We'll get you on during right. the I'm gonna, season. I'm going to think when about someone's trash season. talk. Yeah, like when you're in season and someone like cut you off or like broke your pole or like, you know there what I mean? Go. Then it's then you got it like just teed up. We'll get you in the heat yeah. of the moment. That's, so the that's what is, matters. The thing is, I quite like most people. It's really annoying <laughs> because it's quite nice to have someone that you hate that you can just like visualize when you like yeah. ski and you're like, oh, they're such an arsehole. But like, yeah. I quite like most people. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 